So the readings found in Matthew chapter 11, and these are verses 25 to 30, and I think the words should come up on the screen. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Over to you, Raul. Thank you. <laughs> Should we pray together as we uh, come to God's word? Let's pray. Father, we are um, aware that life is full. So many things um, bombard us, so many things flood in and threaten to uh, drown us. And Lord, we long to meet with you. We long to hear from you. And so please, Holy Spirit, would you teach us now? Would you open our eyes? Would you help us to be honest with ourselves and honest with you? We dare to ask, change us this morning, Lord. Amen. Let me ask you, who's the most successful person that you know? The most successful person you know, not, not that you know of, you know, in the media, that you personally know. Why do you talk to the person next to you? If you've not met them before, say hi, say who you are and tell them who the most successful person you know is and why you think that. Go for it. Okay, you may like to carry that reflection on afterwards uh, and over dinner and maybe chat further about it. When I think of who the most successful person that I know, I think of my friend Jack. My friend Jack uh, is very successful. He has a beautiful wife, he has a beautiful family, he has a beautiful house, he has a beautiful car, he has an amazing job, a well-paid job. He's a very bright cookie, he's got an MBA from Oxford. In many ways, he's a very witty guy, he's a very funny guy, he's a very friendly guy, he's a very generous guy. In many respects, he is the definition of success. But of course, the question is, it depends how you define success. Because we live in a society in which we, if we're honest, define success in certain narrow ways. Let me quote to you from author Wayne Muller, who wrote a book called Sabbath. And he reflects on how many people, when you ask them, how are you, they say, I'm really busy. This is what he says. We say this to one another with no small degree of pride, as if our exhaustion were a trophy our ability to withstand stress, a mark of real character. 
to be unavailable for our friends and family, to be unable to find time for the sunset or even to know when the sun has set at all, to whiz through our obligations without time for a single mindful breath. This has become a model of a successful life. And because of this reality, that we are trying so often to live lives without that beautiful phrase, a single mindful breath. When was the last time you breathed mindfully? You know, just stopping breathe. Many of us, if we're honest, because of that, aren't thriving. We're in the middle of this series called The Thriving Life in which we're tapping in to what is really common today. This idea that the life that we're caught up in and the life our society is putting us towards is one actually with many, many material benefits, many attributes of success, and yet, and yet, if we're honest, many of us aren't thriving. And the things that we're trying to do, the things we hope for in our lives, our aspirations in our career, our dreams in our families, our hopes for our relationships, the things we want, the material things, the comfort, all of those things, many of which are good things, may actually be leading us not to thriving at all. And I would guess that if we were to ask for a show of hands, and we're not going to, how many of us, if we were to say, are you thriving, would say no, I would guess a fair chunk of us would say, I'm not at the moment. And even if you're one of those for whom you would say, actually, Tim, I'm doing all right at the moment, I would say, as many good things, I feel as though I'm thriving. Can I suggest, please don't be like this photo? Playing golf in front of a burning fire, field, uh, forest fire in the US. Because even if your life right now may feel hunky-dory and all is sweet, the world around us is not. Society is not thriving. I don't know if you saw the article just last weekend, University of Portsmouth, a study about thriving and about how many of us are not thriving. And interesting, what is a key attribute of those that are would be religious and spiritual beliefs, but we'll come on to that in a moment. Plenty of us are really struggling in our families, in our relationships, in our jobs, in our finances, with our aspirations, with the things we thought we ought to have achieved by now. And as a result, we are people who are striving for so much, which is leading us not to be thriving people. And so today, we're simply thinking about how to move from striving for things to thriving, to being people who are striving for things that may be good things, but ultimately are damaging our lives, to being people that are really thriving. And as we jump into this, the word striving is a biblical word. Let me suggest a few times it's mentioned in the Bible. And there is good striving. So 1 Timothy 4, Paul talks about that is why we labor and strive. He's talking about fighting against religious duty and religious chains that wrap us up and trap us. He's talking about the people who are saying, you want to say you follow God, but what about these festivals? What about this particular thing? Are you doing that? And Paul's saying we labor and strive against that because the good news of Jesus is freedom. That's a good striving. 
There's a second way that the Bible describes striving. Isaiah 64, where the prophet talks about in that day, no one calls on God's name or strives to lay hold of him. That also is a good striving, striving after God, that in Isaiah's day, no one was doing it. And I guess we would say many people in our society too are not doing this. Striving for God, those are good striving. Striving so that the good news of Jesus is heard and believed. The good news that sets us free from religion from chains that wrap us up and bind us and weigh us down. And the striving after God, the striving that means we do all we can to get in our faces before God and say, God, my life is yours. That striving's good. But there's another way the Bible describes striving, and that's what we talk about, to move from this kind of striving. In Ecclesiastes, what do people get? for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun. That's what we're talking about. That's the unhealthy striving versus the healthy striving. The healthy striving, striving for God and to rest in his good news. Unhealthy is a drivenness that means we are aiming for things that are crippling us, even though those things may be very, very good things. Let me give an example of this. I heard a story a little while ago of a church pastor who was counseling two women in his congregation. These two women, both were married, and both of them were kind of complaining about their husbands. And both of their husbands were not treating them particularly well. I won't go into the details. But what was interesting to this pastor who was telling the story is as he met with these women separately and chatted with them, in his mind, the, the one whose husband was treating her worse, she was able to forgive him and able in that relationship to move on and progress was made. And yet the other woman, who in his, his mind, the husband was just not being brilliant, but he was you know, typical bloke in many respects, and yet she could not forgive her husband and could not move on. And he wasn't sure why this was. The one that was treating her worse, forgiveness, great. The other one, no. And he began to realize after meeting with her, it's because for this woman, her goal in life was to be a good mother and to be known as being a good mother. That was what she longed for. That was what she dreamt about. That was her aspiration. That was what she was striving for. And in her mind, because of the, her husband's behavior was reflecting badly on the children uh, and they, their behavior was affected a little bit, as a result, how she was as a mother was being impacted. In other words, her good goal of being a good mum became a god. And as a result, anything that unsettled that made her come apart. A good thing became a God. She was striving for something that was undoing her. And I would guess, if we're honest, many of us have those things in our lives that are good things, gifts even, and yet we've elevated them to a position in which they are our master. And therefore, we strive for certain things, a certain career position, a certain awareness of how we've done, a certain relationship, 
to have children, to have a certain car, whatever it may be. They may be really good things, but we strive for them because ultimately they are the things that own us. Well, into that, I want to suggest Jesus says two things. How to move from striving for those things to a truly thriving life. And here it is. And I'm going to keep this passage now on the rest of the, for the rest of the time on our screen. Jesus' refreshing, beautiful, poignant words. And the first thing Jesus says to us, if we're in that position, firstly, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Now, it's important to remember what Jesus is talking about. The context of all this is Jesus navigating with the religious leaders of his day and who is he and they're trying to kind of say he's not from God and all this sort of stuff. And then Jesus says these words, verse 27, uh, the verse before this. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus is simply saying, if you want to get right with God, it's through me. I and the Father are one. As a result, if we want to truly be thriving in our lives, firstly we go through Jesus, come to me. And there's a simple question for all of us. Are we going to Jesus or away from Jesus? If Jesus is saying, come to me, which way are we heading? To him or away? And I guess for some of us in the room right now, we're not sure whether we'd class ourselves as Christians and we kind of come along to church a little bit and we're not quite sure. And there's an invitation even today for some of us. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. And for others of us, we are followers of Jesus, but if we're honest, we've slightly got our back on him a little bit. Well, the biblical word repentance literally means turning around. And for those of us in that boat where Jesus is saying, come to me, all that Jesus asks us is to turn around from any direction we're heading in that's away from him and simply to say, I'm coming to you, Jesus. And you notice something? Jesus says, come to me, not come to my teaching. And that's really important. Because Jesus says, come as you are, not with a certain framework. He doesn't say, unlike any other religious system, this is the way for salvation. Adopt this sort of teaching model. Do these certain things and your life will thrive. If you add these certain things into your life, you'll see a thriving pattern. If you put down your smartphones, if you do all those things, that will be truly thriving. All those things are good things. But no, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Because of course, for all of us, if we're not coming to Jesus, there's somewhere else we're going. A substitute, a God, another thing that is in the place of Jesus. And the author, Emma Scrivener, talks about this uh, when she has written a, a book, a uh, fascinating book, and she talks about her own eating disorder and about how she was a Christian and navigating all this, but actually things began to change when she really understood who Jesus was for the first time. Uh, let me read it to you because she, she says basically that her brand of Christianity had space for God but not for Jesus. This is what she says. 
As I read a particular passage in the Bible, I felt I was meeting Jesus for the first time. Instead of the far-off slave master that I had imagined, I encountered someone completely different. Strong and powerful, but also broken and loving. The Lord of the universe, yet someone who understood what it was to be weak. Instead of the God I thought I knew, in Jesus I met the one who knew me. The Jesus, this Jesus confronted me not as a tyrant or a heavenly headmaster, but as a gift. He came offering himself. On the cross, my badness, my attempts at goodness were taken away. Here was a lamb who met me in my brokenness, a lion who destroyed all my foes, a God who turned his face toward me and called me his child. Enough fighting, enough striving, enough hiding, enough running, enough starving, not a question, an unalterable fact. This was the gospel that brought me to my knees. I expected God's anger, but I was floored by his grace. Here at last was someone who could satisfy all my longings. Jesus didn't want apologies, resolutions, or assurances that I would do better. He wanted me. This morning, for those of us that aren't thriving, Jesus says, come to me. And for some of us, he says, come back to me, to my embrace of grace. So that's the first thing Jesus invites us to do, come to me, by, as it were, repenting, turning away from other things towards him. And the second thing is this. Do you see the second invitation? Come to me and take my yoke. Take my yoke. And of course, a yoke is one of those things that they put over cattle and oxen so that one couldn't veer off and they'd both be kept in the same direction. I was trying to think of an illustration for this and Paul Duncan gave a really helpful one to me. You know, climbing the carabiners. I meant to bring one with me, but I forgot. You know the carabiners that you sort of use if you've ever done rock climbing, the ropes go through them and they're the things that clip in. And you clip your hand, yeah, what's it called, thing in so you don't fall off the side of a mountain. Anyway, shows how good I'm climbing I am. One of those things that clips you in. <laughs> And I was, the illustration is, imagine clipping yourself with a carabiner to somebody else and then just go for a walk. And of course, you'll end up being pulled in all sorts of different directions. And Jesus simply says, this world in which we're in, there are many yokes that are taking us in all sorts of different directions. And as we were reflecting, those good things that are the things that are really important in your lives, they may be things that are taking you away from Jesus, even though they're beautifully good things. And Jesus says, simply says, clip yourself to me, not those things. Take my yoke. I was going to ask Johnny, but um, I'm not a guitarist, so I won't bother with it. But I would imagine playing the guitar, and if anyone's a musician, without a guitar strap is really tricky. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you sit on the floor, brilliant. Because, of course, you can't hold it and play it at the same time. And Jesus' yoke is simply like a guitar strap, enabling us to really play, enabling us to really thrive, enabling us to fly in life. And what's Jesus' yoke then? Well, listen again to verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. 
the religious leaders of the day, their obsession was with the outer things of the religion. The festivals you had to do, the right amount of washing that you had to do, the right amount of prayer that you had to do, so that other people would say they have got it sorted. And Jesus is simply contrasting his yoke, his way, with their way. In other words, Jesus' way is one of freedom and life. And that's why Jesus says, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And of course, that what he's talking about is the good news. That Jesus died on a cross for us, so all of our striving can be dealt with. That he rose up from the grave, shattering death, so that we have nothing to fear. So that even if we are the worst parent, the worst person ever, there is really hope for all eternity. So that even if those things that we long for in our careers... Those hopes we have for our relationships never take place. Even then, we you know, realize we get to be in eternity with the one who loves us, the creator God, who knows us as we are. And that sets us free. And we can hide away in his love, his grace, his comfort, rather than striving for these things that we think will complete us, good though they may be. Jesus doesn't say, I'll change your circumstances. He simply says, my yoke is easy. So that even in circumstances that are really painful and unbearable, there really is hope and freedom. So friends, might I suggest that is success. Success is in relationship with the God who made us, resting, hiding away, in his amazing love. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. And it may be that as we're sitting here in stillness, that you, uh, something connected with you, maybe it's, you would say that you're not thriving and you're striving for something that is maybe a good thing, but you know is kind of wrapping you up in the stillness, I'm going to simply pray that God would set you free. Father, we thank you that the invitation is a simple one to come, to turn away from other gods, to turn to you, Lord Jesus, knowing that in you there is forgiveness and hope and grace and freedom and then as it were to be clipped to you to walk with you to be tied to you because your way is good your way is light your way is free and so I pray even now Lord for those in this room who are really battling would you please even now set them free would they know they are loved by the God of eternity Thank you, Jesus. Amen.